Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone. Wrapping up hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson. It's great to be with you today. And, you know, we've had some some great insight uh, from Derek Miller, the president and CEO of the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Kenny McKellar uh, joined us talking about the uh, bill uh, that was signed into law yesterday, uh, creating some additional regulations, some shining of the light and accountability as it relates to some of these troubled teen programs, uh, many of which are just extraordinary, do great, great work. Uh, there's a few bad actors out there, and making sure that those are held accountable is is such an important piece of the puzzle. Throughout the day-to-day, we've been talking about uh, all of the things that are getting wrapped up inside of this massive $2.3 trillion infrastructure proposal that uh, the president has laid out. Uh, we know uh, from our conversation with Derek Miller that there's a piece of that. The PRO Act is tucked in there, uh, having to deal with uh, mandatory uh, union dues, people not having a choice whether to join a union or not. Uh, inflicts a lot of the challenges from the state of California in terms of workers in the gig economy uh, who may see their opportunities for work go away if businesses feel like they have to pay and carry a full-time employee, they may say, you know what, we're going to do without that particular service. Maybe they're contracting with someone to do that on a part-time basis and uh, or someone who's just operating as an independent contractor. So that all impacts our economy, what's going on. We've also heard a lot of late uh, around the desire of the administration to increase the corporate tax rate. Uh, in particular, yesterday, Uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen uh, made a push for a global minimum tax rate on multinational corporations. Here's what she said. Together, we can use a global minimum tax to make sure the global economy thrives based on a more level playing field in the taxation of multinational corporations and spurs innovation, growth, and prosperity. We're working with G20 nations to agree to a global minimum corporate tax rate that can stop the race to the bottom. So really interesting. Again, this is one of those things. This is tax policy. I don't think this is infrastructure policy. So I don't think it really has a place inside of that kind of bill. I'd much rather see it if we're going to debate it, if we're going to talk about it, if we're going to vote on it, then let's do it in the light of day. Let's not make this part of some backroom deal that the, the Democrats and Republicans will try to hash out over the coming weeks. Let's do it in front of the American people and let's tweak it. Let's amend it. We've had some conversations today. Some people say, well, it's at 21% now. used to be uh, up at 28 and then it was at 31. Uh, Now we're we're at 21. 
Uh, could we compromise? Could we go to 23, 25? What, what would that do? What would that mean to businesses? What would it mean to uh, people buying goods and services? What would it mean to employees? But let's have that conversation in front of the American people. As I regularly remind our listeners, uh, whenever you hear the words behind closed doors, that should send a shiver up your spine because something is being done without you knowing and then will be tucked in, uh, as we said with Derek Miller, it'll be on page 527 out of a 2,162-page bill and nobody will read it. And so if we're going to have this kind of conversation, let's fully engage it. Let's listen to both sides. Let's look at what it actually means in practicality. And then we can start marching it forward from there. Totally good with that. But it's when we do these things behind closed doors, when we we have deals being cut and made by just a few people, not even by those we elected to represent us, that's where we always get into trouble. That's where bad things happen when it comes to government. That's where we lose trust in both those that govern uh, and the institutions themselves. And sadly, that's starting to spill over. We've lost trust in many of our politicians. We've lost trust in the structure of government. And sadly, really sadly, we've lost trust in each other. This has trickled all the way down and it's fraying the fabric of society. And we need to get back to the table. Let's have real conversations. Let's debate. Let's allow an amendment process Uh, And I just want to hit that for a second. Uh, You you hear me throw that term around, uh, an amendment process. A lot of people just assume if there is a vote on a bill that people have a chance to to make it better or to offer different versions and so on. Uh, Particularly at the federal level in Washington, D.C., in the House and the Senate, there are many times where there is no opportunity for a senator from either political party to offer up an amendment. And to me, that's what's really wrong. When the people have elected 100 people to represent the citizens of this country, and then because of the leaders, Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, they work out a deal, and what they do in that deal is they say, okay, we're not, we're not going to have an amendment process. We're just going to take an up or down vote on this the way it is because they've hashed it out. They've got what they wanted out of it. And to me, that's a big part of the problem. I was astounded uh, when I was in Washington, D.C. at how many bills were voted on without anyone of either party having any opportunity at all to offer an amendment that might make the bill a little bit better or that might challenge the current thinking just a little bit or that might provide a a little tweak to it. Uh, That's the way the process is supposed to work. And those debates are supposed to be hard. And so what we do instead is we just have this fake fight for a couple of weeks. Uh, Everybody goes to the cameras. Everybody goes to the microphones. Everybody does their social media posts saying how awful the other side is. And can you believe this is happening? Everyone sends out their fundraising emails. And then nothing happens. And then we're presented this all or nothing choice. Well, you either have to accept this bill just the way it is because, you know, this is as good as it's going to get. Or you have to vote no. And as we talked about with Derek Miller from the Chamber of Commerce, uh, often the bills are so perfectly named that it's often really hard to vote no because, you know, many of them have great names like the We Shall Have Clean Air Act. You know, who's going to vote against that? 
or the you know pro workers bill of course of course we want pro workers we're of course we're pro workers you know i'm surprised we haven't had a bill this session yet on the you know cute puppies of america unite you know who's going to vote against that uh, and sadly we end up with these communication battles these messaging battles uh, meanwhile behind closed doors a few people uh, often it's the four leaders it's the uh, mccarthy mcconnell schumer and pelosi show a uh, great name for a law firm i don't think it's the way the founders had envisioned what governing should look like or be like and so then we end up with this all or nothing stuff at the end and we we have to get past that and we have to get members of congress to to stand up and say no we're we're not going to do that and we have to be willing to say we're going to support you in that cuz guess what it is not popular to say, I think we should actually have to debate this on the floor of the House. Or I think we should have to actually take a vote on this on the Senate. And often the pressure is so great that members of both parties just cash it in and say, yeah, I'll just go along. I'm not going to fight this one. In fact, the mantra that always just drove me crazy in Washington was, well, we're just going to let this one go. We're going to live to fight another day. And sadly, that quickly turns into live to surrender another day. And then we don't really have conversations about things that matter or things that would improve things for the American people. And that's what we got to get back to. And so as it relates to these corporate tax uh, increases that are being proposed by the administration, uh, there's already been some resistance to that uh, from Democrats. Uh, Joe Manchin, West Virginia, came out. Uh, said he would be against such a thing. Uh, hearing just in the last hour, Senator Coons has also said that he would be against that kind of corporate tax increase. And I think part of that is because both of those Democratic senators realize that often what we rush to do, because it sounds good and let's stick it to the big companies, uh, often doesn't quite play out that way. Often when we rush to alleviate the suffering of some, we create suffering for many. Uh, we certainly saw that in the opioid crisis. Uh, we've seen it in a lot of other ways where we rush bills through and they end up hurting the very people we're supposed to be helping. And so there's already some interesting back and forth going on. Uh, President Joe Biden, just uh, in the last couple of hours, uh, has signaled that he's willing to compromise, that he's willing to back down a little bit on the uh, $2.3 trillion infrastructure plan, that he's willing to think again maybe about uh, what the corporate tax rate might look like uh, because again I think many are recognizing this may increase cost it may reduce jobs and it will hurt a lot of people uh, in their 401k uh, so those are some of the non-planned for ramifications of legislation and that is exactly why we got to do it in front of the American people transparency and accountability will give us confidence in the system I'm Boyd Matheson. Thanks for joining us here on Inside Sources. We've got another hour yet to come. Stay with us right here on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.